So it's kind of a weird week because we're finishing this sermon series on money, and I'm feeling very emotional, and if you're wondering what happened, well, we've kind of had a bad run anyway, and we thought that, that kind of the run of busyness and, uh, and maybe just, you know, difficult finances and things like that would kind of come to an end, uh, and then my dog got sick, and, uh, and I talked about that in my sermon last week, and if you've just been here for one more week, you know that uh, I loved my dog uh, a tremendous amount, and then he he died uh, last Sunday after church, and it was unexpected. He wasn't that old, uh, and it's been a very wretched week. Uh, and and so uh, I, I say that only because if I like start to tear up in the middle of my sermon, it's not because I'm so excited about money um, that that you know like if I get emotional, it's not because I'm like wow this this is the sermon that just gets to my heart right here. Um, uh, it's for other reasons, um, but I do, and this is weird. It's a weird week to preach on money because emotionally, I don't, I'm not where this sermon is, and I don't know. You probably haven't preached a sermon, so you don't know what that's like. But, but just it's it's weird because. I don't know, it's like going to your birthday party when you've had bad news, you know, and then you kind of have to like act like you're in one place, but you're in another. Uh, and this is kind of that, like next week I'm talking about singing and we'll start that series and that would be, there were some things this week where I was you know, just forced in my kind of grief to, to like worship Jesus anyway and despite that I didn't want to and I think that would have applied and next year I'm I'm preaching a sermon series on depression slash joy, kind of on the opposite ends, because a lot of people in our congregation, a lot of people that I know really struggle with that, and I don't struggle with depression, um, and I'm not, I, there's only a couple of times in my life when I would say I'm depressed, uh, and right now is one of them, and so I've been taking notes um, on myself, like this is what people experience, you know, and it's things I've heard other people who are, who suffer with depression say, like, just things don't matter, like, why am I getting up today? And, and I feel that this week. And so, like, I wish we were doing that sermon series. But instead, we're talking about money. Uh, and, and, and yet, and yet, I'll set all that up. I think that it's a sermon. It's weird because it's a sermon that I actually, and not many money sermons do this to me, but I'm actually excited to preach it because I think it's so valuable and it's so important uh, to kind of you and, and the way that, that maybe you think about money and, and even the way that you spend money. And I set it all up last week and said, look, there's no financial crisis at our church. I don't make any more money if you give more money after this sermon today. So I'll remind you uh, of that. And last week I said, like, here's the great news. There's, there's no, um, like, point in the sermon that says give more money to the church. Uh, bad news. This week, that is kind of the point. Like, give more money to the ministry of God. And when I say that, instantly, I think you go like, okay, this is a guilt trip sermon coming in. Uh, and, and I want to set it up this way. There's a Tim McGraw song, uh, Don't Take the Girl, and there's just one part of it that I've, that for a long time I've really thought about. Like, it, it just, it just reminds me of how we feel when the topic of money comes up. Uh, there's a line in this song. It says, stranger came and pulled a gun grabbed her by the arm, said, if you do what I tell you to, there won't be any harm. And Johnny, 
main character of the song, said, take my money, take my wallet, take my credit cards. Here's the watch that my grandpa gave me. Here's the key to my car. Mister, give it a whirl, but please don't take the girl. And, and I think, honestly, that's, that's how you kind of feel when the topic of money comes up in a church. It's like, okay, I'll put five extra dollars in. Just get off my back, Pastor Man. I mean, just leave me alone. Don't make me feel guilty, and I'll put a little bit extra in, or I'll give the money to whatever you guys are needing as a church, and we can kind of be all right and everything will be okay. And it seems a lot of times, not for everybody, but for a, for a lot of people, a lot of Christian people, a lot of non-Christian people even, that, that when we think about giving our money to a good cause, any good cause really, uh, but especially Christian ministry, church or otherwise, uh, a lot of times it is driven by people uh, from their guilt. They just feel like they ought to do it and they're going to be guilty if they don't do it. And so they drop some money in an offering basket or write a check to the latest organization that sent you something in the mail and said, you know, 39 more cents and you could save a life or whatever it might be. And so, you, and, and you, know, you know this because that's what every commercial trying to get your money kind of preys upon, right? I mean, it's not just, I mean, we kind of look at pastors and think you guys are greedy or whatever. I don't look at them that way, but you might. Uh, but it's like every TV commercial trying to get your money is one giant guilt trip. I mean, they show you pictures of animals or kids who are starving to death or been beaten or hurting or struggling or the homeless guy, and they say, just give us a little bit of your money, and then you cannot feel guilty. They might as well just say that. It wouldn't be great marketing. But if you just give us some money, it doesn't matter where it actually goes. You won't need to research. Your guilt can be absolved and you can move on with life and everything will be okay. And sometimes guilt giving is not the worst thing in the world. I think that you ought to give money to your church. If you're a part of this church, you should be giving money. And, and I hope that you feel guilty if you don't or if you break any other uh, of God's kind of commands or, or um, statements about what you're supposed to do. I, I do hope that. I pray for people's guilt a lot of times, actually. Um, it's a little secret. Um, but there's, there's this better, this better reason to give money specifically to the ministry of God that, that I, that I want to look at today. It's in the book of Philippians. We'll be in chapter 4. And, and I'm even going to use an acronym. And the acronym is that when you give to the ministry of God, you get a CAR. That's like C-A-R, I believe. Uh, and, and so we're going to see that there are these, these three major benefits. I know I'm not like Mr. Acronym, but it, it fits and works here. Uh, that really come into your life if and only if you are giving money to the ministry of God. And so the hope today is that we'll, we'll just put down the gun of guilt or, or the other side of that, uh, the kind of the, the fake promises that sometimes people give you uh, when they're talking about giving money, like, like this one, like, if you just give us some money, then you are going to get a lot more money and everything will be great for you. And it, it could go like this, like today we could get up here and, and pull some verses out of context from the Bible and say like, here's the deal, guys. If you just drop an extra $10 in to the offering basket at the end, if you're struggling financially, then that's going to come back to you tenfold. And, and I want to drop that gun too because that's another gun that people kind of machine gun out there and it's just simply not true. If, you put, if you're struggling financially and you drop 10 more dollars in the offering basket at the end, you're going to be struggling maybe $10 more. 
more than you would have been. But there's great news, so don't stop listening there. And here is what we're going to look at. Philippians 4, 10 through 13, and this is how Paul starts it off. I, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, I'm not even really going to teach about these verses, but I, I just wanted to read them because they're so connected to what we talked about last week. And if you were here last week, then you saw that the key to growth in life, to moving forward, to gain, as Paul describes it in the passage we looked at last week, the key to that is to try to live your life for God and, according to Paul, to be content with what you have financially. Not striving, not wanting to be rich, to have more. And so Paul here now is like, hey, I've actually, I've actually learned to do this. And there's a couple of things that are just so interesting to me. First of all, it's really interesting to me that Paul says he's learned to be content. And maybe you left last week and you said, well, okay, I should not want to be rich. That was kind of the point of the sermon. Don't want to be rich. Don't love money. And you said, well, that's good. I'll do it. And then Monday came and you're like, oh, if I just had a little bit more money, then I could be satisfied. And, and Paul, it's cool because, you know, he's like one of the great Christians. I mean, one of the guys that we look up to who wrote most of the New Testament of the Bible for us. And, and he says, I had to learn to be content in my poorness or my richness. And so if you last week were just like, oh, I failed, I'm not content and I want to be content, well, we'll try again this week. Just keep working to learn to be content. And whenever you have that thought, like I just wish I had a little more, say, wait a minute, I'll be content with what I have. Another really important thing that he, that he says there is that, that, that these people that he's about to talk to about money, this church in Philippi, this Philippian church, he says, Look, God used you to bless me. And I think that's really important because as we've had moments the last uh, six weeks or so where cars are breaking down and vet bills are coming and we're trying to pay to have a baby and we're thinking about what we're going to have to pay after we have a baby, I, I, other people have blessed us. And I see some gifts back there and that's going to happen. And so just recognize, just recognize that, that you maybe can be a, a real blessing to somebody else. And then the other, the other really important thing to see here is that Paul sets this up, and he's about to talk to them about their spending habits, about where they're putting their money, and he says to them, look, I'm not saying this because I want anything from you, and I've already said that to you, but I want to just say it again. When Paul writes this, it's not because Paul wants more from them, it's because Paul wants something for them. And that's a really key distinction to make because it's easy to use the excuse when you hear a sermon about money, well, this guy just wants something from me. And Paul, in this writing here, says, look, before I talk to you about giving and what it means, recognize that I don't need anything from you. I just want something for you. And this is what he wants for them. And he's going to describe for us these benefits of giving money to the ministry of God. He says in verse 14, Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. 
Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. Now, Paul is iterating, I, I don't need anything from you. I'm not in need. I have the gift that you've already given me. You've already given me something. I, I'm just talking to you about what it means. And he says a couple of things about the importance of giving to Christian ministry. And I'll use Christian ministry throughout because I think that's really where it applies. I think one of those Christian ministries you should be giving to is the church, but it applies to Christian ministry in general. And there's a couple of things that are super important that Paul says. First of all, he says that it's good. That translates a word that means beautiful, and it's really important, I think, as you think about how you're going to spend your money, to remember that when you give your money to the ministry of God, you are doing something that God sees as beautiful, as important, as valuable, as good. Kind of, right? Like, because we've been guilted so much about money, because that's how we think of it. It seems like at the end, when I say like, when you drop this money in the offering basket, you just, a lot of times you just kind of do it because if you do it, just because it's regular to you, because it's normal, uh, because you're supposed to. But Paul begins by saying, look, when you shared in my troubles, when you gave me money, that's what he's saying, so that the ministry of God could continue on and I could continue to tell people about the gospel. When you did that, you did something that was, beautiful. So when you think about giving to God's ministry, don't think it's just a supposed to. Don't think it's just a have to. Don't think it's just something that gets the bills paid and gets the job done. Think of it as something that is, in fact, beautiful. Now, this other part, this is even cooler to me. I, I really like this. It says, he says, it was good of you, and then he says, to share in my troubles. And that actually, I don't like to bog down with Greek words, but it's really important. That actually is the word that is most of the time translated in our English Bibles as fellowship. And if you've been around church for any grand amount of time, then you, then you know this word because fellowship is how we oftentimes just describe eating together, right? Like uh, churches have a fellowship hall and that means the place where you go to eat so that you don't wreck the sanctuary, which is the, the room with the pews, you know, and if you grew up like I grew up. And so you go down and then you have fellowship and you mean eating together. But the word usually means like something like to be a partaker with others, to share with others in anything. And so when the Bible describes fellowship, when it uses the word fellowship, it's not talking about hanging out, and I hate that. I really hate that Christians have taken this kind of grand, theologically beautiful word and made it something that non-Christians can do, that everybody does on a daily basis when they're at Starbucks. Because the word is, the word is really describing being a part of one's spiritual lives together. It's talking about saying, look... I will be a part of your life in such a way that, that we are moving forward spiritually together as one. And it's something that we're always aiming for as a church here. It's something that we always are trying to figure out how to make happen on a, on a greater scale, on a more wide scale in our church. We, we very, we, we've never had disunity in our church, that, that I, at least when I've been around and known what was going on. We've never had disunity, but it's never good enough for us because we always want more and more to, be people, to have people who are partaking in each other's spiritual lives. That's the picture that, that really the New Testament gives us of a proper Christian relationship. 
And so when Paul uses this word here describing money, it almost feels like a weird fit. And I think what Paul is getting at is simply that when you give money to the ministry of God, you are taking part in that ministry. You you are being a part of what is actually happening in that ministry. And so Paul, for him to say it, I mean, what Paul was doing, if you don't know the story of Paul, I mean, he's converted to Christianity and then he just devotes his life to telling people that there was this guy named Jesus who was the son of God who died for the sins of the world and then rose again three days later. And so Paul goes all around the world, at least it was the world to them, around the Mediterranean Sea area, telling people this great story and planting churches. And he looks at this church in Philippi and says, when you gave me money, when you shared with me, when you provided for me, you took part in the ministry that I am doing. You shared in expanding the gospel's reach around the known world. I think that's kind of a big deal. Because when you, if you do, drop money in the offering basket, a lot of times you just drop it in there and you think I'm supposed to or I have to or whatever. And Paul says, no, 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 you're doing a beautiful thing. And it's in large part beautiful because you are partnering in the gospel. You all can't get up here and preach every week. But in large part, when you, in, no, in reality, when you put money in the offering basket at, at the end of a service, you are making it possible for me to be here right now preaching to you, to share the Bible with you, to talk to you about Jesus. Uh, you all cannot, on a daily basis, just go meet somebody at Starbucks and talk to them about Jesus or about how they can serve Jesus better. But when you put money into our offering basket at the end, you are partnering with me in, in doing that because I don't have to work another job, and I can do that. I can go sit at Starbucks and, and meet with people and talk to people and let people share their hearts with me, and I can share my heart back to them about what God wants for their lives. It's an actual partnership. Now, we, I just want to point out that we don't think that, that, that that's your only obligation to our church. Uh, and in fact, that can become a problem, right? Because you go, well, I put money in, so I don't have to do anything. We think there's a lot of other things that are important to, according to God and the Word of God and the Bible uh, that you need to be doing. We think that you need to be fellowshipping with people, partaking in their relationships and meeting with people and loving people and, and striving for greater connection and unity within our church. We think that, that you need to gather here on Sundays and you need to gather in a way uh, that, that benefits other people. And so when you sing, it's not just about you feeling good and having your emotional kick, but it's about you encouraging others, something we'll talk about in the next series. And, and when you show up and you interact with people, it's not just the people that you like or the people that you're friends with or that you're excited to see, but you're actively saying, who, who here today needs me to interact with them because they're down or they're happy and I want to laugh with them and rejoice with them. And then we think you need to, to serve God in some way uh, and, and you need to do something. You need to not just sit there and not just give your money, but you actually need to, to make an effort to build this church and to be a part of what we're doing. And so we think there's a myriad of ways that, that we work together as a church, but one of them is that we put money into an offering basket and we say, God, I hope that you see this as a beautiful thing because I want to share in this ministry and help it move forward. Now, that's what it does. Um, and Paul says this, I mean, that they were giving and receiving. And I would just ask this question. Is your relationship to our church, 
financially and otherwise, uh, other ways, a two-way street or is it just a one-way street? I mean, do you come and you get filled up and you get something out of it, but you don't give anything? Or is it going both ways and you say, I will actively give as I actively receive? That's what it does. So it's a two-way street. It's beautiful. It, you're partnering. But here's what it results in. And this is the part you're going to like. That part, you're like, ah, partnership. Sounds nice, Chad. Uh, sounds good because I'm sitting here, but it won't sound good tomorrow when I get the mail and there's bills in there, you know. But this, this part that's coming up, the car, the C-A-R that we're going to receive back is pretty inspiring to me. So here's what he says in verse 17. What I desire is that more be credited to your Account. So see, it is credited to our account when we give money to God's ministry. Listen to what is said in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. This is Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now here's, here's the thing. A lot of people, a lot of good theologians, I'm, I'm one of those people, believe that when we get to heaven, there's going to be some type of reward system. And I, I can't explain it all to you. I don't understand what that looks like because when you're in perfection, what does it mean to be rewarded? If, you, if possibilities are totally endless for you, what does it mean to even have a little bit more? I don't know. I just get that out there. I don't, I don't really understand that. But I do, when I look at the Bible, see these passages that seem to suggest that when we get to heaven, some of us in the midst of our perfection are going to be blessed in greater ways than others. And it's going to be in, in based on what we have done. I mean, listen to Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart is working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And, and we go, well, you can't get into heaven as a reward because we believe you only get into heaven through faith in what Jesus did for you. And so what is that reward? 1 Corinthians 3, 14 and 15. If what has been built survives, and this is talking about your works on earth, um, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only one is escaping through the flames. And so Paul there, writing in accordance with the will of God, says when you get to heaven, you might just get there and not really have the blessings that somebody else might have, depending upon the work that you did while you were alive. And then Revelation twenty two twelve. this is Jesus talking, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and... This is a big one. I will give to each person according to what they have done. Seems to suggest that when Jesus comes back or we die and we go up to heaven, that, that there is going to be some type of reward system. You will only get into heaven based on whether you had accepted Jesus as your Savior or not. But when you get into heaven it seems that there will be more blessing or less blessing or more stuff or less stuff or more responsibility and less responsibility based on what you have done. 
This is not a theologically accurate. I'm, this is my second corny joke in two weeks. Again, not funny. Um, but this is actually, I'm using it as an illustration, not as a joke here. Uh, but not theologically accurate. And I'll, I'll explain why in just a second afterwards. So stick with me. But um, I'll just read it. A man died and went to heaven. He was met at the pearly gates by St. Peter, who led him down the golden streets. They passed mansions, mansion after beautiful mansion, until they came to the end of the street where they stopped in front of a shack. The man asked St. Peter why he got a hut even when there was so many mansions he could live in. St. Peter replied, I did the best with the money you sent us. Bad, right? Okay, good. You laughed at that one. You didn't laugh last week at the corny joke. Now, here's the deal. And you go, well, that's a bummer because I just don't have that much money. But listen to this story. Listen to this story in Mark 12, 41 through 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich, rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put, look at that word, more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live in. I've heard that story a million times, and it's an encouraging story about sacrificial giving, but I had never noticed until this week that Jesus actually says she put in more. It doesn't say like, it's, it's something that, you know, she sacrificed more, or God was more pleased. He actually, actually says she put in more. Now, going back to Paul's words, he says, if you give to the ministry of God, it will be credited to your account. And what Paul is getting at is that when you put money in, when you put money towards the ministry of God, then somewhere in heaven, it is as if you are raising your account, I think, for these rewards that you will receive someday. And when you couple that with the story of the widow, it seems to be suggesting that when you sacrificially give, the more sacrificially you give to the ministry, the work, the, the efforts of God on this earth, the more your bank account in heaven seems to go up. It's not the dollar amount you give, it's the sacrifice amount that you spend that, that increases the amount of money you will have someday. Now think of it this way when I, I put this. I mean, so many people that, that are very smart financially would say to you, you are stupid not to put away money for retirement because you're going to want to slow down in your work and you're going to want to have some money there for you. And I'm not a smart man financially, but I would say this. If you're going to spend eternity somewhere and it is based on something that happens now, then you would be dumb not to put some money away for that. And what Paul is saying what Paul is saying is that when we sacrificially give to the ministry of God, it is credited to our eternal accounts. And so when you think about dropping money in the offering basket or writing a check to some other Christian ministry, whatever it might be, one of the grand things that you need to remember is that when you do it, you are creating for yourself a blessing that someday will come back to you. It's not as though you are giving money and nothing good comes of it for you. Like, well, I did it and only the church gets something. You are actually creating a blessing for yourself. And then Paul says in, in verse 18, I have received full payment and I have more than enough. He iterates that. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are, check this out, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing 
to God. The A in our car is that it brings adoration to God. And we know that once Jesus came and died on a cross for the sins of the world, then the animal sacrificial system of the Old Testament went away and we no longer kill animals. But we do make sacrifices. And we make sacrifices that are pleasing to God. And Paul says that one of these is to give our money to his ministry. A fragrant offering is more literally a fragrant smell and it contains the idea of a sweet aroma. In Leviticus 2.2 we read, The priest shall make a handful of flour and oil together with all the incense and burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. What Paul is saying is that when you give to the ministry of God, it's like the smell of chocolate chip cookies going up to heaven for God. When you give to God's ministry, he accepts it as a sacrifice that is pleasing to him. You are bringing him worship or you are bringing him adoration. Now, we give lip service to this almost every single Sunday. I say that, give with the heart of worship. But when you see it in writing, when you, when you read it, and Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit and he's putting it down in words, then, then you have to take it a little bit more seriously, I think. When you give money to the ministry of God, you are bringing worship to God. Now what happens, what I found, is that in Christian circles, people who have been a Christian a long time, they point to Romans 12.1 where it says that, that, that our, our bodies are a living sacrifice to God. And, and they'll go, well, you know, everything I do is, is worship. And we even sing that in a song. I hate the line so much. It's my least favorite line in any musical Christian song that's ever existed probably. But we sing at the end of the song, Amazing Love, uh, You Are My King. We sing, and all I do, I worship you. And I always just think like, hmm. Not true. You know, when I cut that guy off and yelled at him on the street, I'm pretty sure no worship was involved in that. I mean, that, that wasn't worshipful. And so the Bible says, yes, you should worship with your entire lives. That's clear. But the Bible also says, here are some things that you can know are actually bringing adoration, worship to God in heaven. And here Paul says one of them. One of them is giving money to the ministry, the work of God. When you do that, you are worshiping him. And then Philippians 4, 19, he says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And so the R in our car is that we will receive everything to meet our needs. And I, I just want to just pay attention to that. That is an incredible promise. And it's not a promise that should be ripped out of context. Because there is no promise that I'm aware of in the Bible that says God's going to meet the needs of every person in the world. It's not a thing. We think that sometimes. Oh, God will take care of you. You know, when people are struggling financially, what we should say is God will take care of you if you have given money and are willing to give money to his ministry. Because that is the promise that is made here. The promise is not you are guaranteed that God will always take care of your finances. The promise is that you are guaranteed that God will supply what you need, your food, your shelter, and your clothing, if you are a person who is willing to sacrificially give to his ministry. I really like the promise. It, it's a great promise to cling to and to hold to, but it's only a promise that comes for those who are actually giving. Now, for some of you, I get like, uh, these will fall in different places. I mean... Some of you go 
yeah, I would like to build my heavenly account and you have plenty of money. And, and so I say, hey, remember that it will be credited to your account. And others of you, maybe you're in the middle and you go, well, you know, I don't have a ton. And so I'm crediting my account in heaven is tough because I have all these bills, but I already have everything I need. And, and so I, I, you know, I'm, that promise doesn't really hit me today. But I would say, look, remember that you bring adoration to God. And then others of you are like, I don't know how I'm paying for food later today, or I don't know how I'm paying for my house or my apartment, and I don't know where that money is coming from. And I would say, pay attention to this last promise that says, if you give to the ministry of God, then you'll have everything you need. And we know this, this last one to be true because we hear all these crazy stories. And um, I mean, just this week, it, I mean, just the last couple of weeks, I just, with Roy's vet appointments, um, we had two cars break down and I told you guys that. And, and it seemed like such a horrible financial thing for us. Uh, like, wow, two cars. And, and we actually had three cars break down, but um, we'll really count two because one will keep keep going for us um, after it gets fixed a little bit. But two cars are like done, like no more car. They're gone. Um, they're probably all sold for parts now. Uh, and, and it was awesome because, because I looked at that and it was terrible. And it's like, what are you doing, God? Like, I can't afford this. And I thought that we'd had no car payment and this all seemed to be working out. And, and, and as I looked at these last two weeks, um, the first part of Roy's vet bills that I would have honestly forever regretted uh, not having those vet bills when uh, we were checking him out and we got a second opinion on him and all of that. That's my dog, if you weren't aware on that. Uh, it was like a $20 difference between what we sold these terrible, dead, crappy cars for and, and what God provided and and what we needed for those vet appointments. And, and so I, I look at that and I think, God provided, not in the way I would have chosen. I wish one of you would have sent me a check um, anonymously or something like that. But, but, it, but it, it's real. And, and those of us who have given to the ministry of God and, and, and who live a life that says, I'll, I'll put my money where you want me to put my money, God, and you can take care of the rest, uh, there are stories. And then most of us have them where we go, it just didn't seem like it would work out, but it did work out. And, and so when you look at this last promise, it, it's a promise that I understand and that I, have, that I have lived out. God will give you everything that you need to meet your needs if you will give money to his ministry. And he does this out of his glorious riches. Richard Mellick, a, a commentary writer, said uh, that this means out of his, he bountifully blesses those who give with glorious provision in accord with his glory and for his purposes. The, the promise when it says out of his, out of his glories, um, it isn't to say like, God's got so much in heaven and you're gonna get rich if you'll just give to his ministry. I wish that was the promise, but it's not, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the promise is that God will give out of his nature and his being. And, and what we know of God's nature and his being is pretty impressive. I mean, he, he created us because he wanted a relationship with us as if we matter on, on any grand scale. And, and then he loved us so much even after we had rejected him and turned our backs on him that, that he came down out of heaven, out of perfection, to die on a cross for us. And he loves us so much that even when we accept that gift and become Christians and keep doing stupid stuff and messing up, he continues to forgive us and reach out to us and, and love us and care about us. And, and so when Paul says that he gives 
according to the riches of his glory. He's not saying he gives according to the riches of heaven and all the gold that's up there. I think it's even better. We might not like it as much in the short term, but it's even better. He's saying God gives out of his very nature that is loving and gracious and kind and compassionate. And so when you think about having your needs met, you remember that it comes from the very character of God who has already demonstrated his love and his provision for us. That's a good promise. And so here's, here's just it. I mean, let me just summarize that for you. When you think about giving money to the ministry of God, I don't just want it to be a guilt thing. I don't just want it to be a duty thing, even though I think it is a duty if you're a Christian who is involved in a church. I don't want it to be that. I want you to recognize that it is a beautiful thing that, that causes, allows you to be a partner in the ministry and the work of God in a different way than you already are. And it comes with these beautiful promises, the promise that it will be credited to your account and it will bring adoration to God and you will receive everything that you need to meet your needs. And so when you drop money in our offering basket in 10 minutes or so, don't just go, yeah, ought to do it. Uh, it's first beginning of the month or whatever and this is what I do, but go... I want a partner in the ministry and I want to do something beautiful and I want to look forward to heaven even more because I have something stored up for myself there and I want to worship God and I want to be promised that I will never have a need that will go unmet because of the glorious riches of Jesus. Will you pray with me, Lord? This is a, a really a beautiful passage and, and we don't like to talk about money, but but as far as money passages go, it's a, it's a great one. Um, because, Lord, you deserve every dollar that we have. I mean, you've, you've given it to us. You've provided us everything that we have, even our very breath, Lord. And yet, you promise blessing in return for getting your money back. And so I'm thankful for that, that, that you would... That you would <laughs> so graciously bestow upon us blessings that we have no entitlement to, blessings that we, have, uh, that we do not deserve at all, Lord. I pray, God, for every person that's in front of me, behind me, who will listen online, that, that, that they would make a decision to put every dollar where you would have them put Every dollar, Lord. But I also ask, God, that they would have a heart to put money into your ministry. I pray for those who are already giving, that, God, they would, they would recognize these promises when they do give, that they would ask whether they should give more or give to a different place or support different ministries or more ministries or whatever it might be and that you would lead them in that, and, and that they would cling to this, this car that we might uh, receive, that we will receive, Lord. And then, and then I pray, God, for those who, who don't give anything to your ministry. Um, and, and Lord, I thankfully, we don't have a high percentage in our church, and it seems that every year we shrink that percentage, but I pray that right now you would, you'd work in their hearts. And sometimes I would pray for their guilt, Lord, that they would just sense that duty and that calling. But this morning I pray that, that, that you would work in their hearts in a way that, that causes them just to want this blessing, the blessing of these promises. And that they would not be so short-sighted that they would prefer the next gadget instead of 
crediting their account in heaven. And they would not be so self-centered that, that they would need to spend every dollar on themselves instead of bringing adoration to you. And Lord, that they would not be so comfortable, that they would not care uh, to have a promise that says you will meet all of their needs. And so, Lord, I do pray that you would work in the hearts of people who, who aren't contributing to your ministry, who aren't doing that beautiful thing, who aren't uh, partnering in, in your ministry financially, and I pray that you, Lord, w- would touch them in a way today that causes them to want those benefits and those promises. Uh, we love you, Lord, and, and we even talk about giving money to you because of all that you have so uh, greatly, wonderfully, graciously, powerfully done in our lives. And, and it's because of all of that, Lord, that we ask these things in your name. Amen.